Hello and welcome back to another episode of De-Stress with me, Dr. Amanda. On this podcast, I like to highlight the often underestimated effects that stress can have on our lives, our bodies and our health. Today, my guest is Rachel Francis. She's a mother, a wife, a pharmacist. She is an entrepreneur with her own travel business and property portfolio. Um, and she also creates content online on her Instagram and TikTok pages. Um, we had a conversation today about her journey and how she navigated through the stress of becoming a mother. She has three beautiful children in the space of three years, but it wasn't a straightforward journey. And I hope you um, really benefit from this conversation. It was so interesting. She was very vulnerable and shared so much of her journey and also the role that stress played in her becoming pregnant. Um, I also wanted to highlight that this episode is a good follow-on to last week's episode where I sat down with Hannah Pern, a fertility expert, um, about the actual link between fertility and stress. So if you've not checked that out after this episode, go and have a listen to that one too. Thanks. So hi Rachel, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me and listeners. Before we start, I'd just love you to introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are, and then we can get into the conversation. Sure. Hi, Dr. Amanda. Thank you very much for having me on as well. Really excited to have this conversation with you about fertility, about my fertility journey. So my name is Rachel. Um, I am a mum to three beautiful miracles. Um, They're all under five, two and a half years from the beginning to the end of them. So I've had three pregnancies in three years. Um, Before that, we had fertility issues. So I'm on here, I guess, to talk about that with you today. Um, I am also a pharmacist, so I work in general practice now. I've been a pharmacist for almost almost 20 years, actually. Um, But I've been in general practice for the last seven years. I also work for the ambulance service as well as an urgent care pharmacist. Um, I love to sing. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian since I was about 13. Um, I've traveled the world as a professional gospel singer. I have sung with so many different artists in the gospel arena and also in the secular arena. So I've done stuff with Madonna. I've done um, stuff in the O2 arena. Um, I've been to Barbados, I've been to Spain, I've been to oh, Portugal, I've been to France, I've been to, I haven't been to Japan, but yeah, I've been to a lot of places basically yeah. doing all of that. Um, I'm not sure what else there is to say about myself. I guess I'm a bit of an all-rounder. I do have a health page that I talk to pharmacists um, that are new to the sector that I'm working in, um, literally just based based basic kind of information for those that are new to the sector and and I also do talk a lot about my fertility journey I've also got a travel business that I have just started as well um so that's quite exciting yeah I think I'll stop there actually brilliant (laughs) and um this is the thing this is honestly guys if you hear that how much you have how much life and everything you've experienced um, basically, I connected with Rachel online on Instagram. Um, I found you on there when I started my like health page. And then I remember you reached out to me once to do a bit of a collaboration on your stories. Oh, yeah, and since fun. then, we've been talking a lot more. Um, even with the um, travel business as well, my husband's getting involved in that. And yes. I just found every time I watched your stories or we would message each other, 
I just found like I was so similar and so many things that we we're connecting on whether it's that like you're a clinician or you're always very busy like I am and the ages of your children are very similar I believe our daughters are like my eldest and your daughter are born mm. the exact same month um yeah. or like she, maybe she's is she November she's December. December okay she's yeah December. so they're born the same month and yeah. so there were just so many similarities there and so every time I see you post I'm like there's just so much there and I'd love to do more with you and collaborate more with you um and it's just amazing the world of social media how you can connect with people that you may never have met beforehand know, and crazy. I've only just recently learned about you and your gospel singing and how much you've done with that but um when I started this podcast I knew that I wanted to get you onto the podcast but I didn't know what topic to talk about because there were so many things, whether it was juggling like, um, you know, juggling things, starting your own business, whether it was being a clinician, working and working in the NHS, being a working mom, but prioritizing family and sorting out schedules. All those things were going through my mind. But then I was like, actually, um, your fertility journey would be really interesting to talk about because um, it can be a really it can be a point of stress for so many different reasons. Um, we know there's often this phrase that goes around you know when people are struggling with their fertility that you just need to relax you know when you stop stressing or when you stop trying that's when you have a baby but it's often a lot more complicated than that and the the whole thing of trying to conceive in itself can cause stress and the effects that stress can have on your body and your sleep and your hormones can then affect your fertility and so it's it's just amazing that you you know right now you're in the place where you have three beautiful children beautiful beautiful children you did it in such a short space of time and um I've seen snippets of your story online but I'd love for you just to tell us more about what happened and really um how if if stress played a part in that and how you kind of got to the point now where you have this beautiful family and what the journey was like to get there so um I'll let you start at, at the beginning or wherever you feel is the right place to start but tell us about your journeys to your family Sure, um, no problem. Um, I think what I wanted to start off with saying as well is fertility sometimes is that not that much of an issue um, for everybody. So some people are experiencing infertility, but it depends also in terms of the circumstances of, of who is yeah. around them, what culture they are in and what community they belong to. And I think what I wanted to say is within the black community, fertility is very sensitive because it is very yes. much um it, it it's it's and it's even mixed with sometimes faith a little bit as well and it's just really it can make you feel very invalidated I think as a woman within our community um and so I just wanted to kind of stress that as well because I do remember even IVF when I was having IVF conversations online and there were um, women from other communities that were openly talking about IVF I kind of just said you know some of us um, aren't comfortable talking about IVF journeys within mm-hmm. the, and they couldn't understand why that would be an issue and I think again it's just around the community that we belong to yeah. so um yeah so I was married for about five years before I realized that actually I think we might have a a fertility issue so I got married at 30 Mm -hmm. um which is late within our community as well potentially um the black Christian community is its own kind of nuanced thing um (laughs) and there's just so much history that goes into like the black community first of all then you Mm -hmm. add the Christian aspect to it as well and the expectations of things it's it's can be really complicated and convoluted and then being a woman in that as well 
It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, but I think yeah. it's probably for a, a podcast for another yes. day, potentially. <laughs> it's a huge topic. Um, so, yeah, so we got, I got married at 30. We didn't think we wanted to have children immediately anyway. So we kind of thought, you know, let's just give it two years, as most people do. And I would say that, again, most people assume they're fertile mm-hmm. until they're not. <laughs> um the, the fact that we had the boldness to even think we had the choice as to when we we're going to have children, I find amusing given my journey, because obviously mm-hmm. at that time, I didn't know there was going to be an, a fertility issue. Yeah. Um, we did start using contraceptives, but then I just found that it was making my skin really patchy. I was getting spotting. I just thought, I've just thought, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I don't, yeah, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And then we just, we just found that we just weren't getting pregnant anyway, but because we weren't planning to get pregnant, yeah, it was an issue. Like, yeah, I wasn't tracking it. Um, and then when it got to kind of like five years in, I just thought, mm. even though we're not really actively trying to get pregnant still, because we were still very busy. As I mentioned before, I was traveling the world um, mm-hmm. at that time. I was still working as a pharmacist. So I was doing part-time as a pharmacist, part-time as a professional singer. And it was just amazing. I literally was just doing my shit. I was literally get off of a tour bus at like 3 a.m., go home, have a shower, start at 7 a.m. in the pharmacy, do an 11 hour shift, go home, sleep, have the next wow. day. Like it was, and I'd had no responsibilities. Yes, I was married, but I had no children. I didn't yeah. have any, you know, my time was essentially my own. I could do what I want. I wouldn't be able to do that now with children. Mm-hmm. But that's, a, that's again, that's another discussion for another time. Um, so I just thought to myself, let me just, let's just go into the doctors and let's just see kind of what's going on. Again, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stigma around fertility um, issues. It took me a long time to convince my husband to actually go for tests. He was just okay. like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not going for tests. Well, we don't, no, 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 there's nothing. When God's time, God's time. Yes. And I think, again, it's around that faith, sometimes impairing our judgment, mm-hmm. I think, there's nothing wrong with going to see your doctor, having a chat about it um, on time. Because I do mm-hmm. speak to a lot of women that are going through fertility and they're already in their 40s or mid 40s. Yeah. And actually, if you look at the NHS criteria for IVF treatments, sometimes 40 is the cutoff yeah. in terms of. So you've now missed the boat because you you didn't find out on time, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. So, yeah, we went to um, see the doctor. The GP fertility tests are very basic. um, And actually, there was no, it was unexplained. They didn't know why we weren't conceiving. Um, But because we had been married for five years, trying technically for five years, because we weren't Mm -hmm. using contraceptives, um, but it wasn't something that was affecting or impairing our lives because we weren't actively tracking it um so anyway we we were referred because of where we lived we were we were allowed to have like three nhs cycles again that's postcode prescribing but that's another podcast for another day Mm -hmm. because it depends where you live in the country as to how many Mm -hmm. ivf cycles you can have under the nhs so we were lucky that we were able to have three now when we were referred to the fertility clinic that's when the real juicy blood tests were available Mm -hmm. Um, and something called ovarian reserve was done Mm -hmm. for me which the GP don't have access to no and that showed that my ovarian reserve was really really low 
Okay. Um, I think so you're about was... you're 35 at this point, are you? Yeah, at that time I was 35. Yeah, at that time I was 35. So did the um did the test? They said that it was really low. I think it was something like 0.3. I can't really remember completely, mm-hmm. but it was something like 0.3, and that was just really really low. Okay. So at that point, the specialist said to me, "Look, your blood tests have come back." your ovarian reserve is really low and for listeners that don't kind of know what that is I mean mm-hmm. you'll probably be able to explain it more than me um Amanda but yeah it's my understanding is that it's around the quality and potentially quantity of eggs for a woman mm-hmm. so if your quality and quantity is quite low it then reduces your fertility so um they just said look because your reserve is so low we are only going to offer you one cycle as a clinic oh. so even though the NHS were able to they were prepared to fund three the -hmm. clinic itself that I chose they said that they were only going to do one cycle because we again we have to realize that the clinics do think about their success rates um and I think they don't think about the patient I if I'm going to be honest that's how I felt as a patient at that time so we were offered one cycle um IVF for anybody that has done IVF will know what what I mean when I say it can be horrific for yes. me, I struggled. I think for me anyway, I'm generally quite hormone driven in the sense mm-hmm. of when when my periods are coming, I kind of know I get really tearful like two days before I'm crying about silly things. Then yeah. my period comes and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> it wasn't real then, <laughs> you know, uh, um, for me, but not, you know, not every woman experiences it in the way that I do. But I do think I can be quite emotional. Mm-hmm. um it gave it created a warped version of me to be honest mm-hmm. that IVF was it warped my reality um I was very I think I must have been very difficult to deal with when I look back mm-hmm. because I was very unhappy mm-hmm. because because I think of the hormones that I was using and it yeah. just made life very difficult I was interpreting things mm-hmm. I was very sensitive. It was just awful. I remember that first day um, that I had to inject myself Mm -hmm. with, I sat on my bed for 45 minutes, tears streaming down my face because A, I don't, I'm not someone that likes blood tests and injections. I'm not going to lie. I can give them, I can give flu jabs, but I don't really want them. Mm -hmm. No. um, And I think just the anticipation of the pain and also like that, that needle itself represented so much for me. Mm -hmm. It was very much like, I was I remember sitting in my bed thinking how did I get here like yeah what is this you know well can we backtrack then a little bit sure so you know when you were so in this run-up you've gone to the GP you've had some basic blood done you've been referred to the IVF clinic and then you're going through the first initial consultations how were you at that time finding things because had your desire to have children really peaked at that time um because you said before that you were like really busy you know, you, you weren't actively trying. Did yeah. when did it? Did you have a switch where like the desire to have children increased, or how were how were you dealing with those conversations? It's really interesting that you say that because I had done a little bit of reading as well around sort of IVF, and I remember thinking to myself, "You have to want it. Like you can't just go through it and then just not want it." So I think at yeah. that point, the moment that I decided to accept a cycle. I then allowed myself to be incredibly vulnerable and admitted to myself that actually I do want this. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I think I was so busy and so distracted living my best life yeah. that I hadn't really thought 
I hadn't really unpacked my thoughts around motherhood that much. I just knew that I didn't want to regret it at the age of 50 that I okay. hadn't done anything. So I just said to my husband that if things don't, if things work out, it's great. If they don't work out, at least I know that at the age of 35, I did everything I could mm-hmm. within my power to give myself the opportunity to be a mother. Yes. Um, and I wouldn't live with regret. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most destructive emotions because you can't do yeah. anything about things. Exactly. It's the time has passed. And the reason yeah. I asked that question is because when you said you were sitting there with the, and like the needle meant so much, yeah. I was like, what did it mean then? Like, and yeah. is that where you've, you become more vulnerable to yourself? You knew yeah. that it wasn't just thoughts. a, yeah, it was, it. so was it not just that you were trying to prevent yourself from regretting it is because you now wanted it? Yeah, I, I allowed myself to actually want it. And funnily enough, I used to have like, and I promise you, I'm not crazy because I knew I was doing it. I used to have like, I don't know if I call it premonitions or something where mm-hmm. I would sit in my room and I would almost imagine myself telling off a child that is standing by the door. Mm-hmm. It's so, it, I can't, it, it was so weird. And I do do that now with my children. Yeah. I would just be like, but what did you just say to Jessica? You just said mm-hmm. Jessica hit you, but what did you just say to her? Was that very nice? Was that kind? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I remember Mm -hmm. having these kinds of conversations in my head while I was going through IVF. It was really like reverse deja vu as if like you were seeing. And so you could see yourself as a mother then. Yeah. yeah, I began Mm -hmm. to see myself as a mother. um, And it was just, yeah, I, I, I did. And I think there was a level of anger. I think I had for God at that time because I thought to myself, I started to question, had I actually married the right person? Like, because, Mm. you know, in terms of fertility and all that kind of stuff, it's very much, even though the fertility issue at the specialist clinic lied with me. Yeah. I kind of wondered whether, like, why is my ovarian reserve low? Why is the GP telling me that there's actually nothing wrong with me, but yet I'm coming to a specialist and they're now saying that I am? Because in those mm-hmm. at those times, I hadn't moved over to general practice. I hadn't had that yeah. clinical kind of understanding. I was very much sort of community-based at the time. And so I didn't really, yeah, I, just, I, I was just had a lot of questions. I just thought, God, mm-hmm. you, when I walked down the old, I walked down the, down to, you know, down the aisle five yeah. years ago, you knew that five mm-hmm. years later, I'm going to be sitting on this bed with a needle. Like, what, do you, yeah. what are you playing at? <laughs> I remember mm-hmm. thinking things like that. I also remember thinking to myself, like, I don't want to be the reason that I now rob my husband of being a parent. Yeah, Like, it was just, it was, there was just so many things that were going, and what have I done to, to have caused this? Is there anything in my past that I need to mm-hmm. repent for? Is there anything generational that is now hit, has kind of like skipped generations and has landed yeah. on my head? like what like and again this is this is culture and faith being mixed together that create stories in our heads that are very Mm -hmm. real to us Mm um so yeah I just remember doing that injection and just just I mean I eventually did it but it took me 45 minutes to inject myself well there's just so there's just so much weight to it what you're describing there the questions that you're asking yourself like and the responsibility and I think I can imagine it's really difficult as well because to create a child it takes two of you right and so whether there isn't whether the issue is with one person or the both of you or whatever it is um I I guess it it's it's not just an issue with one person like um it's the two of you together and so although it can be like a female factor or a male factor it should 
it should just be seen that we are having this child so we have a low ovarian reserve or we have a poor sperm count like this is our issue but sometimes I can imagine that when it's been told that it's the ovarian reserve or it's yeah you know the issue has been found with your side of things the guilt or the responsibility that you take on like saying that am I the one robbing my husband of having children but really it's this journey that you're going on together he wants to have children with you he married you so your problem is his problem it's it's together but I can just imagine how much weight was on you at that moment definitely and I think for my husband he was very much kind of going through life he wasn't there was never a situation where he made me feel that there was any problem with me or that he had there was none of that and actually if there were any things that were kind of coming from his side he would shield me from it I knew nothing Mm -hmm. about conversations that maybe people were having with him which I feel like really really helped me I mean Mm -hmm. there would be times I'd be in church and people would kind of you know when a preacher comes to you know a guest preacher comes and says if there's anybody wanting children or anybody waiting for the fruit of the womb come to the front I'm going to pray with you sometimes I'd have people poking my back you know and as because I was also um in the music department in the music ministry Mm -hmm. sometimes we would actually physically be on stage at the time maybe we were already on stage backing you know this this Mm -hmm preacher whatever I would get eyes on me I remember there was one time I was kind of standing near the side of the stage and one sister tapped me and said don't worry sister it's gonna be all right I prophesy triplets in the name of Jesus and I thought to myself girl you have no idea what I'm going through and Mm -hmm. I don't need to publicly I don't I don't I I just I'm just not here for that anyway Mm -hmm. But, you know, people mean well. They do mean well. But Yeah, there's meaning uh, well, but it's also the boundaries. And I think yeah. that it needs to be there. And what I am, what is better to see now, there's a lot of people still in the church that don't, you know, mm-hmm. uphold any boundaries. But there is more of that conversation going out there now yeah. that it's not everyone's business. And your yeah. commentary is not necessary. It's yeah. like, it's yeah. just not necessary. It's not helpful. Yeah, especially if I've not had that conversation with yeah. you. Why, we, why mm-hmm. you even, if I don't have children, why are you assuming that my life is not complete because I don't yes. have children? That's mm-hmm. an assumption, you know, um, but yeah. So anyway, so rejected myself um, and I'm going to fast forward it a little bit. And then obviously yeah. please ask me any questions if, if mm-hmm. I miss anything out. Um, I had some scans that I needed to do to kind of just see whether the medication was working and you have to see how many follicles have grown and things yeah. like that. Um, and they will only sort of start to remove them if they think that they're a big enough size or there's enough of them. So bearing in mind, my ovarian reserve is low. So already in my head, I'm just thinking, well, you know what, God, you've clearly put me on this journey. So I'm going to assume that it has a good ending because I don't know why you would put me on this journey and allow me to actually want something because I was all right before. Yeah, (laughs) I was all right. Now I'm not okay. So I'm going to assume there's some kind of reason for this journey. Um, so they did manage to, yeah, I'm trying to remember now. They did manage to, I think they did actually take some out. They must have done because some of it is actually blurry because it was yeah. so stressful at that time. I actually think I've got selective memory for some of the mm-hmm. stuff, to be honest, because some of it, I don't actually remember it clearly mm-hmm. now. Um, one of them... D- one of them was fertilized so they had fertilized one and that was the, it was only one that they were able to fertilize and it had started to grow um but when they got to day three it had stopped growing 
and that was the only one that they had fertilized so from I your only cycle that you were allowed own, yeah from the only cycle that I was allowed and it was just one and I remember thinking to myself it's okay it's okay it only takes one it only takes one mm-hmm. it only takes one it's fine I don't need a million and obviously when you're looking at IVF lots of people some people are completely hyper stimulated and they mm-hmm. produce so many they can even free yeah. some um so I remember being in clinic that day so I was doing polypharmacy review for um sort of the elderly so polypharmacy mm-hmm. basically is patients that are on loads and loads of medication and as a pharmacist mm-hmm. what we tend to do is just look at the safety of the medication and just ensure that they're on the right drugs and not on any unnecessary ones ones that mm-hmm. are going to cause harm just for listeners that aren't familiar with that yeah so um I was doing a, a polypharmacy clinic in the evening in the afternoon and it was all elderly patients and I say this for a reason so during patients I just thought oh, let me just turn on my phone I generally turn my phone off when I'm in clinic so mm-hmm. in between patients I was waiting for a patient to arrive so I thought oh, let me just turn on my phone yeah and I received this email from the clinic and um it said something like we're really sorry that you're I can't remember the phrase that they use we're really sorry but it you know the it stopped growing basically as and an email as an email I didn't know though that they had they had tried to call me but my phone was off they had managed to get hold of my husband. They assumed that my husband would have spoken to me and they sent us both an email. My husband obviously couldn't reach me because I was also, I was yeah. in clinic. So I saw the email and like, it was very final. It's very like, we will not be offering you any more cycles, but we will be in touch to book a follow-up appointment with a consultant to discuss your options. Bearing in mind, I'm in the middle of a clinic. I can't just go home. But I was just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it had sunk in, mm-hmm. but I just knew that I had to keep going. So I called the next patient in. This patient was going on and on and on about their numerous grandchildren in that appointment. Mm. And that's, and obviously elderly patients do do that. That is normal, mm-hmm. but it was just, it just wasn't great for me and I remember trying to kind of fight back tears and you know looking away looking at the kind of the the, the, the screen and just trying to kind of gather myself before I looked back and it was hard it was a hard clinic anyway so two weeks later we had an appointment with the consultant and that's when we sat down and I think in my mind I thought to myself maybe they are going to offer me another cycle maybe they're going to feel yeah. sorry for me and offer me another cycle so I remember sitting down and um it was a lady consultant and she kind of just said, look, you know, we're really, really sorry that it hasn't worked out for you. We can't offer you another cycle based on your blood test results. We're really sorry. Um, the options are adoption. But what we would recommend is that if you do want to conceive naturally, um, you won't be able to and you will need to get an egg donor. Oh. Um, so, yeah. In that moment. I just broke down. I couldn't, I couldn't hold it anymore because it had already mm-hmm. been building up over, you know, I was waiting for this appointment, hoping yes. that they were going to say, actually, it's fine. I remember just breaking down and I tried to fight the tears back. I don't think I realized how upset I was because I tried to, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, tried to hold the tears back, but I couldn't. And the consultant kind of gave me a tissue and said, oh, you know, gosh, I know it's really hard. And you can imagine how it must feel for me because, you know, I've had to break this news to quite a few people today. And I just thought, okay. Wow, it doesn't make me feel better. But... No, and that's so interesting as a clinician. Why? I know. Like, you shouldn't. I know. You don't... 
putting yourself into this like wow I know 101 of breaking bad news not to do that you know what it's so funny because at that time I had already crossed over to general practice and I was helping the registrars with their um AKT so I was doing role Mm -hmm. play I was was being the patient oh yeah and I remember my um clinical mentor he also looked after the registrars so on a Friday after on a Monday afternoon they used to have Mm -hmm. like these kind of study sessions and Mm -hmm. I would always join their study sessions and I learned a lot to be honest, mm-hmm. from the registrars being the patient. And I remember we had done Breaking Bad News as a session. Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, this doctor needs to go on a training session for yeah. Breaking, Breaking Bad News because it just wasn't the one. But anyway, I mean, it, it is what it is. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're all learning. We're, it, it wasn't intentional. Yeah. It wasn't, it didn't make, and, and what do you say in situations like that? But I think in, mm-hmm. in a role like that, when you are having to give that level of bad news, then you probably yeah. do need to work out what you're And that say. often as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I just remember thinking, gosh, you know, at that time I was very overscheduled. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that actually it was the end of the road for me for IVF, I thought to myself, you know what? I said, Lord, at that time I was 35. And I said, Lord, if this is for me, I need to be pregnant by the eight, by 36, like 36, my 36th birthday, mm-hmm. I need to be pregnant because if I'm not, that's fine. I'm going to draw a line under it and I'm going to then just find other things that I'm going to be doing with my life. Yeah. Am I going to go back to uni? Am I going to like, what do I need to find another purpose? Mm-hmm. And this must have been, this was, bef- this was before December. So my birthday is July. So this was okay. before the de- December of the year before. Um, so it, I was looking at what I could do within myself. I was very overscheduled. I'm suspecting there was a level of adrenal fatigue. I did read about it, but I remember reading that it's not actually recognized medical phenomenon, to be honest. But I looked at a lot of the symptoms and I think I was getting a lot of those symptoms and mm-hmm. fertility and ovarian reserve definitely came under that as mm-hmm. in a consequence of that. Mm-hmm. And the only driving factor I could think was just stress for me. Mm-hmm. So at that time I was working, I was touring, I wasn't sleeping properly. I was doing shifts work. Um, I was back in worship. I was in a music band as well at that ch- at, at my church at that okay. time in addition. And it was very difficult because I didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew what I was going through yeah. because myself and my husband had decided that it was going to be just us. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't want me to talk about it. And I think that's fine. We have to respect would I suggest that for those going through IVF now, knowing what I know? I wouldn't. I do mm-hmm. think you need to find your people, find your village so that you can be supported. Yeah. I didn't tell anybody. People were getting a horrendous version of me not knowing what I was. Go- they just thought, gosh, this woman's a girl. Yeah. Like, what's going on? It and that's awful. the thing, isn't it? There's a, a lot of the time we have these like really, really difficult times in our life and we're told to keep it to ourselves or keep it quiet. And it's like, where do you get the support from then? Yeah. Um, and how do you explain anything? It's like when you're pregnant, the first trimester for some people can be so difficult, so difficult yeah. for me. Yeah. And that's the time you're supposed to not tell anybody. Yeah. And you're hiding to throw up and to yeah. you're yeah. fatigued. Like, it's like, yeah. <laughs> why am I torturing myself even more by keeping this secret yeah. to you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly that's exactly it. Um so I ha- I had no one to tell. So mm-hmm. the only thing I could do because I just thought to myself I need to exit this. I need to relieve myself of some of this stuff. I can't keep going. 
the fact that I didn't withdraw from a lot of these activities while I was doing the cycle, again, made me just think, why did I do that to myself? I was stressed, which is probably what caused the ovarian reserve, low ovarian reserve in the first place. And I'm still doing those things despite doing an IVF cycle. So I, I literally just had to think, right, let me just go straight to my senior pastor um, at church. And I've been going to that church since I was about 13. So I had a good relationship mm-hmm. with them anyway. So I just went directly to them. I, I went to her in the middle of it, just after service. And I just mm-hmm. said, please, can I speak to you? And she and normally you do have to kind of schedule time. You can't just go mm-hmm. up to pastors and say, can I, you know, it's very, very busy pastors. But she saw my face and I was fighting tears. And she was like, OK, all right, come she could she took the cue yeah I sat there I broke down in her office and I just said look this is what's happening this is what's going on I think I need leave please I need I need leave from what I'm doing within the ministry it's too much for me and I told her what they'd said that I've got low ovarian reserve don't have enough eggs or the quality whatever it is and she just said Mm -hmm. you know you need to rest in God is what she said to me Mm -hmm. number one rest in God and number two when you have a report that is so specific like that you know exactly what to pray for. And she said to me, for you, you need to be praying for multiplication. If they're saying something is low, you pray for multiplication and you rest in God. And I actually took that. I took it. Um, I remember really hitting rock bottom. Um, This was just before I'd gone to see her. I'd, I'd had like a meeting with the band at the time. And it was a horrendous meeting, but I don't blame anybody because they didn't know mm-hmm. why they were getting a version of me. And I remember that weekend after that meeting, my husband had gone to church and he was saying bye. I was fighting back tears in my bed, um, but he didn't know. I managed to disguise my voice. Mm-hmm. And I remember in my head thinking to myself, I don't want to be here. I remember thinking, I don't want to be here. But then again, I was also laughing at myself thinking to myself, because at that time I'd already started doing my um, general practice training yeah. as well. So part of that also is kind of knowing how to respond to patients that may feel slightly suicidal within your clinic, because I was doing, uh, I was part of the duty team. So sometimes you'd get um, appointments that look like their medication, but you don't, they're not, when they arrive, it's a whole host of other things. And I remember the first question that you would ask a patient that um, kind of presents themselves as feeling quite suicidal is, have you made any plans? That is a question that you would ask. just to ascertain how acute this is. Yes. Um, and I remember thinking in my head, I'm laughing at myself, thinking, you're not serious. You're saying you don't want to be here. You're not serious. You, you have made no plan. This is nonsense. What kind yeah. of cry for help is I was literally laughing at myself. But I was mm-hmm. thinking to myself, gosh, you know, I think if I had this medication, I'm pretty sure this number, I'm not going to say what the medicine is. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessary. Uh, but I remember thinking if I had this medication, I'm pretty sure, you know, I was literally, but I was laughing at myself. But I knew that, you know what, I've hit rock bottom to even mm-hmm. be thinking about this kind of thing. And that yeah. is kind of what spurred me to go and speak to senior person and say, look, mm-hmm. I just can't, I can't, I can't function. Yeah. This was around December. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I was gonna say that what you were saying there, um, it just sounds like you were at you were completely at capacity, time wise, emotionally wise, mental load at capacity completely, and what you said there about you were having those thoughts, I remember because I've if um the listeners go back to the episode one, I talk about my own personal stress story, so I remember when I got to that point where I knew that I'd really was what you said hit rock bottom, just mm-hmm. at the lowest I've been, is that I was having these thoughts of just wanting to end it just like I don't want to be here anymore 
and it's because I needed rest what your pastor was saying resting God is because I needed rest and to me at that point some of the solutions that I was thinking of how I get rest is just to not be here and then I don't have to do all the things and it's a scary place to be especially when you are like we are clinicians you trained in this and you talk to patients about it you're like how am I having no no not I'm not having these thoughts like what is going on and I'm glad that you recognize that even though you knew like you weren't making plans it wasn't serious like that but the fact that your mind went there and then you reached out for help yeah yeah, it's good that you did that and I just resonated so much with what you were saying there yeah I didn't have any I didn't have any real protective factors at that time I I wouldn't say I wouldn't I did I wouldn't say I didn't have any mm-hmm. I did of course I was married and and you know I had you know family and stuff but I mean mm-hmm. I, this was before I had children as well yeah. so it was just very I don't know it just it just wasn't a nice place to be mm-hmm. um so yeah so I literally stripped the schedule so I broke down in her office she then um gave me that leave that I needed Mm-hmm. um from from sort of active ministry I was still going to church I was still yeah. doing the very basics but I wasn't doing all the extra stuff mm-hmm. um in terms of my um my day-to-day diet and stuff I made sure that I had breakfast every morning like things like oats that mm-hmm. I put apple in it and things like things that were kind of like you know and, and I, I had like complex carbs and just made mm-hmm. sure that I was you know eating properly and I protected my sleep I didn't put I had my eight hours sleep and I just didn't do any evening rehearsals that was just Mm -hmm. really important for me um so I remember fast forward now so this is for three months I did that yeah and I also took some supplements so I took um DHEA I don't know if people have heard of DHEA I had to look that up I realized that they use that a lot in American fertility clinics but it's not in the nice guidelines here mm-hmm. um so there wasn't much guidance for the dosage and kind of monitoring and you know so I, I looked it up I researched it I think it helps that I'm a pharmacist anyway so I kind of knew what was kind of bogus and what isn't and I you know yeah. in terms of resources um and I spoke to some of my um friends my close friends that were GPs um at the time because I was working in general practice so some of the registrars in general practice we were kind of like similar age and you know kicking it <laughs> at lunchtime and you know it was, it was fun so I would talk to them a little bit about it um yeah so and so I was doing that anyway mm-hmm. so in March I would say I think it was yeah it was beginning or mid-March beginning or mid-March and your um, 36th birthday was in the July that was coming yeah yeah so mid-March, um, my period was late. And I remember thinking, oh, should I do a pregnancy test? Should I not do a pregnancy test? I just thought, and I was due to actually lead worship. So I was doing like evening service worship mm-hmm. um, session. And I just thought, I don't really want to do that and tarnish my mood before I'm about to go on stage and yeah. lead people to worship and praise God bearing in mind I'm still you know a little bit mm, oh sorry I missed out something I missed out something oh yeah I missed out something so after that suicidal thing and I spoke to the pastor um what happened was there was a conference that was um called the river at my church mm-hmm. and I remember there was um there was a song that was just going round in the atmosphere and it was called healing rain if I recall correctly it was something like healing is falling down healing rain is falling down mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed I'm not ashamed and it was going round and round and round to the point where the atmosphere was electric in the set it was that kind of like the pastor wanted to preach but they could they were just standing there and it was that kind of atmosphere where if you touch it whatever ailment you've got 
is probably not going to go home with you. It was that kind of, mm. I don't know how to explain it. It was just one of those things. I remember going to the altar at that time. And, and, I, and the reason I talk a lot about that, this part of my journey is I appreciate some of the listeners I probably may, potentially may not have certain, like, yeah. you know, they may not be part of the faith or whatever, but this is my journey. This is my story. <laughs> exactly. um, and I think it's just around, I, I had to rely heavily on my faith heavily because everything I could touch and see scientific evidence was saying we can't help you go away basically mm-hmm. and they're not sending me anywhere they're just like sorry bye yeah um I remember going to the altar feeling completely broken and shattered there's a song by Kirk Franklin that talks about um you know God taking your broken pieces and kind of mm-hmm. mending them and I remember going to the altar and then just saying Lord again in tears saying, Lord, I'm tired. I'm actually tired now. So all these broken pieces, I'm leaving at the, at the altar. I need you to fix them. And I'm leaving this altar now whole, because I'm tired. I can't do anything else. I can't help myself. I'm just leaving this place whole. And I meant it with my chest. I really meant it because I was tired. And um, I don't know if it was that evening, but it was around that time that I then had another session with God in my head. And I remember saying, if this is the plan that you have for me, so you have allowed me to want this, you have allowed this cycle not to work, which means you had no intention that this cycle was gonna work unbeknown Mm -hmm. to me, that's okay. But I need the grace to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. Because right now I'm not okay. I need the grace to be okay. And then over, over like a few days, I started to feel better. I started to shift okay. my mind. Mm-hmm. I started to think, right, what do I want to do? I did, I did consider doing graduate entry medicine, I think at mm-hmm. that time as well. Okay. Thinking actually, you know, I'm in general practice now. I'm being thrown in a deep end as a pharmacist and you're asking me to do like minor illness and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, is this indigestion or is this an MI? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. can you just, I'm <laughs> not sure about this. Um, and I just remember thinking maybe I should just go do graduate entry medicine or, you know, I just wasn't, I just needed to, I just needed to know that this chapter is finished so I can mm-hmm. now move on. It can't consume me. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I just, I stripped my schedule and I, and it was still, all this is alongside me saying by the age of 36, yes. I need, I need there to be some kind of, if I hit 36 and there's no pregnancy, that means that's a sign from you that actually there's other things and there's greater yeah. things for me to actually be doing that mm-hmm. motherhood is not really slotting in. Okay. Mm-hmm. So March now, um, I was due to lead worship, as I said. I took a pregnancy test. I had those one pound, like, um, you know, those ones, I think it was like yeah, a like super drug one. Yeah, yeah, you just dip it in, you hold yeah, yeah, it. Once yeah. you get in like general practice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought, okay, that was, it was positive. Because I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to do the test or not. Because I was due mm-hmm. to go to church. I thought, mm. but something just said to me, just do it. Like, it's not new. If it's if it's if it's not pregnant, it's fine. But yeah, that yeah. means then that deep down the desire was still there. Mm-hmm. So I did the test, and it was saying pregnant. I just thought, oh, this must this must be faulty. Even though I knew as a clinician, it is not likely to be wrong if it's yeah, positive. Yeah, yeah. A false positive isn't. Yeah. Yeah. A false positive doesn't really happen. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I, but in my yeah. head, I was thinking no, because 
but the consultant told me that I need an egg donor. So this can't mm-hmm. be right. Like it doesn't, they know what they're talking about. They've looked at the test. They're, they're talking about the truth. It's facts that they're mm-hmm. saying. No one's been unkind. So I, I, I just, I was confused. And I thought, ah, oh, you know what? This thing is faulty. It's that one pound. Let me go and get clear blue and pay like yeah. a good 10 pounds and just, you know, let me fall prey to marketing and just go and go this product. I did actually tell my worship team that guys, mm-hmm. I think I might be pregnant, but I'm not sure. Okay. And they were all like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my gosh. It's unbeknown to me, because I'm in such a visual ministry, I didn't realize that so many people were feeling sorry for me, even though mm-hmm. I hadn't shared that I that we were doing IVF or trying, yeah. there's an assumption that once mm-hmm. you get married, of course you want children. Yeah, if you yeah, haven't yeah. got children, wow, what's going on? Oh, yeah, uh, sorry about that. Oh, you know, it's very much. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they were they were ecstatic, excited. I said, guys, you cannot tell anyone. I'm just sharing this with you so that you understand why my praise sounds like the way it sounds tonight. But I'm yeah. just, just you cannot tell anyone. The next day, I went back to you know, I went to go, I went to the chemist again, and I bought. A clear blue mm-hmm. and it said pregnant and I was like really what's going on here <laughs> I just thought now this this is some kind of sick joke I was just I wasn't I was still I didn't really I wasn't sure um yeah so that was the beginning of my motherhood after infertility journey yeah. As that was your um, eldest then that you were pregnant that with. That was Micah, yeah. yeah my. And you know what's amazing? It's so funny that we do this, um, talking about our faith and things. Mm. You just told us how you said, I need to be pregnant before my 36th birthday. Mm. You went to the order and said, I need to leave here healed and whole. Yeah. And then you get a positive pregnancy test and you're still like, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing that we do that. <laughs> like, uh, what? Yeah. What's happening? It's like, but yeah. you just said that this is what you needed and yeah. here it is. And you're like, yeah. but wait, no, this isn't right. Yeah. <laughs> All I can do is, you know, God doesn't need anyone's help. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, thinking to myself, okay, well, this is, this is, this is nice. And I was still kind of not allowing myself to get too excited because I just thought, They've already said that I need an egg donor. So I don't even know if this pregnancy is going to go to full term. There was all sorts of things mm-hmm. that I didn't want to speak though. I was thinking it, but I didn't want to speak it into existence and say anything that I shouldn't really say. Mm-hmm. I just thought, okay. At 10 weeks, I had a bleed. And this was my first pregnancy. Yeah. And I just thought, the moment that I had a bleed, I had to go to EPU, which is the early pregnancy unit. Yeah just for them to kind of do a scan and stuff. Thankfully, it was all fine. It was, you know, fresh blood. It wasn't a lot. I didn't have any cramps. I didn't have any sort of symptoms mm-hmm. of, you know. At that moment, I realised I wanted this child. Yeah. Because it's only when something's taken away from you or mm-hmm. a choice is taken it's, away yeah. from you. Is when, when it's you threatened. Realize. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. definitely. And I think sitting in that consultant's office and her saying to me, you need to get an egg donor. At that moment, I realized the choice of being a mother has now been taken away from me. Like being a biological mother mm-hmm. has now been taken away from me. And it felt very different from the first five years where I wasn't even trying to get pregnant. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, 
and then yeah so I mean we were I was exclusively breastfeeding um and there is this whole kind of thing about you know if you're exclusively breastfeeding you can't get pregnant blah 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 mm-hmm. not if you start to ovulate again ladies yeah and I was getting periods but I didn't think they were periods I didn't know I was ovulating <laughs> So yeah, when... when it comes to breastfeeding <laughs> contraception, it's yeah. so funny. Just um, a little anecdote about that. Um, when I was mm, a couple of years ago, I did a podcast episode as a guest, and it was um talking about um like just like pregnancy and postpartum and all that kind of stuff. And somebody the the guest on there, the host on there, was just saying about oh different types of contraception. I was like, well, breastfeeding can be, but there's some very specific things yeah. that make breastfeeding contraception. And we went through it all. Um and then about two months later the host then messaged me was like, I'm pregnant and I was <laughs> breastfeeding and you told me <laughs> that is not I'm actually now very good friends with that host and we have our, <laughs> our daughters our second children are like very close in age oh, nice. uh, but it was just hilarious because yes breastfeeding can be a form of contraception but not for everybody not, um, not for everyone yeah so in um, December 2019 I had my daughter at that time Micah was 13 months old okay. so I had two children under two mm-hmm. um, and then I decided to go on the pop the which is the, yeah. the progesterone mini pill people pill. I know yes yeah, sorry the mini pill um because I've had migraines before in the past and stuff like that so I couldn't get the combined mm-hmm. one so I tend to I had the mini pill but again it was just it was making my skin go like spotty mm-hmm. um I felt like I was getting a bit moody I don't know it just didn't I, I, it wasn't the one so I just thought you know what I don't really want to be doing this and we just kind of just thought let's just use um natural contraceptives I won't kind of go into what that is guys mm-hmm. I think we all know what that is um so yeah that didn't work either so in 2021 I had my third baby all of them were naturally conceived mm-hmm. despite the definite I would say testimony of the of the clinicians and they weren't wrong in terms of what they said when they looked at they just looked at facts Mm -hmm. but facts are not necessarily truth I don't think those (laughs) two are the same um I remember emailing the clinic when I first had my car saying actually you told me that I couldn't get pregnant and that I would I just felt like you guys told me this and you were wrong and they were like oh you should send pictures in for our hall of fame pardon and that's the thing um I it still shocks me so much that there are so many um stories like this where people have been told by um, different doctors different clinicians things that are very um black and white whereas actually when you really work in the world of medicine and the human body we know that there are many there's a lot of research for doing there's a lot of things that aren't completely understood that doctor would have had many cases before you where she has said that you're not able to do this and it has come about and to have the confidence to give such a kind of diagnosis and you know definitive kind of thing um it's one thing to say that for our clinic what we're looking at we can't offer you anything else and this is what we think you know may be the outcome for you it's Mm. like when people have cancer and they you know someone tells them that oh they've got you know got two weeks living then two years later they're still living we see that so often yeah i'm like this is a general public that just see these stories imagine if you're an oncologist or you're a fertility expert who does this day in day out you'll see so many things that go out of the 
you know what we expect and so to give such a definitive like answer prognosis is just very confident I don't know yeah I agree even like that even things like just just the language used as well I mean if if you've ever um read any of my blogs I'm very much I don't tend to say things like um this is that I use phrases such as evidence suggests or I say things like this is unlikely or Mm -hmm the probability of is the risk Mm -hmm. is you know as opposed to something is or isn't I just think Mm -hmm. medicine and life is just not black and white I I guess we are trained to look at scientific trends and stuff but I Mm -hmm. I just think there's there is something outside of of the science that we just can't explain Um, exactly and I mean there are there have been some fertility experts I've seen online saying that AMH which is the ovarian reserve is Mm -hmm. very kind of to say that somebody's infertile because of low um, AMH and nothing else isn't mm-hmm. correct. So it's very much sort of, you know, sometimes people have even said to me, look, it's a fluke. Clearly you were never, in, un, you know, you were never infertile, but you weren't there when I was sitting on that chair being told mm-hmm. that I'm infertile. You weren't there when I was having to inject myself. Yeah. You weren't and there. seeing the scans and you yeah. were injecting yourself and you yeah. still came up with just yeah. you know one egg yeah. that was able to be fertilized yeah. and didn't make it like these things yeah. didn't yeah. not happen that's um right. and that's the thing as well isn't it what I what I usually say to patients are um if we look at people like you that have this condition around your age with these kind of markers or risk or factors whatever um the majority of those people will have this long to live or the majority of those people will struggle to conceive but you are your own person and we haven't got any data on you individually and what will happen to you and so this is what I predict will happen from the data that we Mm. have but what actually will happen, we have to wait and see and we support yeah. you through it. That is literally the conversation yeah. that I have. I've had that since I was like, I remember being a junior doctor in hospital and just having, just yeah. I'm just seeing so many mm. things online of people saying about like their prognosis. Mm. And I remember, especially when I worked in the elderly ward, I had to have a lot of these mm. prognosis conversations. Mm. And I just decided to change the way in the language that I use because yeah. um, there is so much we are learning now, evidence-based, things that have been like, biblical principles if you've got like a faith um those kind of things we're seeing pan out now and so a lot of things what things that we say and things that we speak really do have an impact on um on you know on what happens and the way in which our mind works as well is that if you were told something like this is there's no hope not having that hope there of change it really makes it makes it difficult and um, mm-hmm. it can change the way in which your brain function it can change the hormone levels like mm-hmm. having those things th- there's so much that we don't understand about the body that we need to be a bit more cautious with how we speak but honestly Rachel I'm so grateful for you sharing your story with us I know that there's countless people that will listen to this and will be inspired um, and will you know it will increase their faith as well not everyone's journey will be the same as yours but it's the things that I really want to take away from this is that it sounds like what really changed for you was when you um, started to acknowledge the the environment that your body was in, the high stress, mm-hmm. you stripped things away. Yes, you lent on God, you did, you had your faith. You said, you know, by the time I'm 36 and God heal me and you did lean on your faith, which is so essential, but you also did work as well. You know, mm-hmm. you cut back your schedule, you 
prioritize sleep you prioritize the way in which you were eating as well and all those things and you educated yourself too and so we can see another example here people talk about how stress can cause infertility and it's not linear like that at all but the effects that stress has on our body can then have um, ultimate effects on our fertility mm-hmm. and so like you're saying about the ovarian reserve whether some of the stress that you were under and the way in which it had changed whether there was some a degree of um adrenal insufficiency or adrenal fatigue and that was affecting things um and that you just and that you were just over scheduled mm-hmm. had such a massive impact on it as well it's really just highlighting that we do have to be accountable to the level of stress we're putting our bodies under mm-hmm. um and if we want certain outcomes to happen or certain outcomes not to happen, like negative things, then we do sometimes have to make those changes. And so thank you so much for sharing your story. Honestly, it was inspirational. And guys, I'm going to get you now, Rachel, just to share with everyone where we can follow you online. And guys, follow her on Instagram, see her beautiful, beautiful children. Um, I know your youngest turned two, was it recently? Yeah, yeah. gosh, she's growing up so much. Oh, and they're, they're honestly they are they are gorgeous and you have a beautiful family there and I and I think I'd love to get you back on the podcast again to talk about some of the other aspects of you know how you actually dealt with that dealing with so many children under that certain mm. age and just mm. navigating all the things that you do and um, but thank <laughs> you for today's episode and so can you just share with us share with the listeners where we can find you Sure. So on Instagram, I am really easy tag to remember. I am Rachel Francis is my Instagram tag. Um, I'm also on Instagram for my health page as well, for those interested in sort of pharmacy related stuff. And that's I am Rachel Francis Health. Um, I'm also on TikTok as I am Rachel Francis and on Facebook as Rachel Francis Mweke, which is my full um, surname. So it's a mixture of mum life stuff, navigating work and just sort of unpacking my thoughts really um in my perfectly imperfect world navigating motherhood and life I guess so yeah please make sure you come and say hi send me a DM my DMs are always open um and I do have a lot of a lot of women sending me DMs just around fertility advice and things like that and I'm more than happy to um yeah to listen because sometimes you just want someone to listen yeah exactly brilliant thank you and so guys we'll be back next week again with another episode remember if you're not subscribed already please subscribe to the podcast rate us and review us so that more people can hear these amazing stories you can find us on spotify and on apple Podcasts under de-stress with dr amanda and if you want to see our beautiful faces and um, we are also on youtube at life with dr amanda until next time thank you